Like communing with somebody who's not here who's ill. Who's, they're over there behind the bag, I think, or in front of the bag. Please take them because when I normally leave here, I normally swipe them and take them away with me. So get some of those if you need to. Uh, secondly, it, it, we, we obviously had loads of prayers. We just keep Mandy's mother, who was really critically ill. We've had um, a bit of a nightmare of a few days going over to Burton and back. She's... Uh, it, it's, it's, well, it's, it's, we won't go into much detail, but it's not very good. So that's why she's not here today. So we're trying to juggle things around. We just keep her in her prayers. And other, we, we have been trying to reach out, but ultimately there comes a time where we cannot reach out, unfortunately. And, uh, but just keep her in the prayers, if you wouldn't mind, because it's a bit stressful, obviously. With that. We're coming in Australia to First um, John. And if you... I preached on First John way before Christmas, and I was going to do it again just before Christmas or just after, then I realised it was a family service. So I thought I've got to change the sermon for the kids, which we did. If you were at some, uh, some of the morning Sally Oak, I changed that one for them. But I will encourage you, if you didn't hear the first one, of the, because this is part two, to go on podcast, which I think it might still be on the website. Might, it might be good to just to connect with that one, because I'm looking over a few reasons as to why John wrote the letter of 1st John so if you want to catch up with that this is the the second part which I did promise you and I'll I'll, I'll do it today Um, but what we did see last time that John wrote this letter to give God's saints a basis for joy and he urged people to live pure lives for God and he also encourages us to live have the right relationships not only with God but to have the right relationships with each other and that's some of the reasons I looked at last time as to why John wrote this small letter. And we're going to look at another two reasons today why he wrote this. Now you're wondering why is it, why is it so important to ask the reason as to why he wrote it? Why, why, do we, why do we need to know that? Well it's very simple. To understand any book of the Bible we need to keep the author's purpose in our minds. We do. We need to keep on what was going on in his mind when he wrote it. What was the purpose of him writing it? You see, we live in a day today where people denounce and they decry the word of God. We live in a day where people minimise it and they ignore the word of God. And we live in a day where people disobey, disregard and they reject the word of God as a standard of authority in religion. John is writing them to tell us and, well, basically tell them and to us today that faithful people of God must, must declare the very words of the hymn writer, Vain Array. Vainly we seek after men for guiding light, or dreams for a heavenly call. Mad of himself cannot set his soul aright, so it's back to the Bible for it all. I heard a story about a yeah, I've, got, I've, got, I've got him this time, because he wasn't here last time when I said about the Scottish boy. Well, I'll do this one. I heard a story of a Scottish, a wee Scottish boy that came home from school, so excited, he burst through the doors and he said to his mum, 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 can't do the accent, sorry. Mum, Mum, I've been given the part in a school play. Well, his mother's face lit up and she was ecstatic, she was excited. She was, oh, she said, son, son. What part have you been given? Oh, mum, mum, I've been given the part of a Scottish husband. And his mother looked at him, pointed with a frown, you go back to school and tell them you want a speaking part. (laughs) 
safe up here. But the point of the story... There's a point to that, Papa. The point of the story is that all men of God should never have a quiet part to play in God's kingdom. Especially when it comes to the truth about God's word. So the fourth reason as to why I wrote this is to let you, well, to let you know why John wrote this. He did it so that God's people might have access to the truth. That's another reason why he wrote this small letter. Hundreds of years ago, I don't know if you know that, but the Catholic Church used to chain the Bibles to the pulpit. There's many reasons why they did that. A, because they were, they were very rare, and they were worried that somebody might steal the Bible. But there is a bit of more of a sinister reason why they chained the Bible to the pulpit. It's because they didn't want the common man of the day who could read to read the Bible for themselves. That's a more sinister reason. Even today we have many congregations that do not encourage their, well, their members to read the Bible for themselves. They just trust in the preacher, that he knows it all, that he knows what the word of God is teaching. Now I say this because we all need to understand and appreciate that it did cost people's lives many years ago so you could have that Bible in your hands. People died so you can have the word of God in your hands. But God, as part of his plan, wanted his will to be known to all mankind. The world has access to God, you know, and they do not even realise it. God has made his word available in a multitude of languages. So, like you and me, men and women can have access and can know the truth. 1 John chapter 2, verse 21, he says this, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. That's what he wrote. God's children can know about the truth. God's children can know about the truth, about God, and about the Holy Spirit, and about Jesus Christ. And it's that very truth which Jesus tells us about in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. He says this, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then, listen to this, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John is saying exactly the same thing as Jesus is. When you hold on to the truth, you will discover what real religion is all about. John is saying to them that the very fact that they did understand the subject of religion, so they understood the truth, that's what he said, that was the reason why he wrote to them, because they did understand the truth. That's why I'm writing to you. I write to you because you do know the truth. And he says it because it is the truth that they know. They should also, that there is no error in the truth. If you know the truth, you will know there's no error in it when somebody tries to tell you something. We have many religions around the world today who practice all kinds of stuff. 
And, you, and, and they teach it, and, and you can hear it, well, it's all over the TV in certain channels, and it does look plausible. To be honest with you, it does look very plausible. They may get good results from what they teach, but they're only temporary. Because we need to remember the good results do not prove what they teach is based on truth. If you've got a congregation of people who aren't being urged to read the Bible for themselves, if you've got a congregation of people who don't possess a Bible and don't give it the respect that it should have, you're going to end up with people teaching you full stuff. You will do. They may teach that many people are saved with these teaching, but salvation and the Bible have to go together. They have to go together. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 4, he says this, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. Listen to this. Who wants all men to be saved and what? And come to a knowledge of the truth. I would suggest that if you don't study the Bible about how God wants men to be saved, if you don't do that, then all you've done is created a false teaching. Listen, God wouldn't state that he wants people to come to the knowledge of the truth if he didn't make that truth available. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't state that he wants all people to be saved if he didn't give us that understanding on how to be saved. The problem in the world today, in the religious world, is that a lot of people are teaching stuff that is false. It's not in the Bible. It's not truth. Teaching all you need to do is to believe and that's good enough. That's what they're teaching. In other words, if you leave God's word out of the equation, everybody can live how they want to live and they're going to be alright with God. You might as well, that's what they're teaching. And it's not a new idea, don't think I'm getting on anybody. This is not a new idea. This was going on in John's day. John said, this is what John said in 1 John chapter 2 verse 26. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. John said that. You see, it all comes back to the truth about God's word. A young woman who was recently baptised into Christ for the forgiveness of her sins said to her friend who claimed to be a Christian but had never read God's word or even been baptised she said, there's just one letter of the alphabet that makes all the difference between us now. And a friend said, yeah, what's that? She says, I love the word and you love the world. That's what she said. See, the world loves heresies. The world loves made-up stories. And the world loves greed. Whether it's greed for power, for money, for recognition, for importance, for control... All because the world doesn't want to accept the truth. But like I said, there is nothing new in this. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 1 and 3 reads this. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce, what's this? 
destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways. And what's this? And will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, the Bible says, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. John is repeating exactly the same thing that Peter did. False teachers would come along and they would speak evil of the way. When you study with some people, church, and they do not accept what you are teaching, they are not rejecting you. They're not rejecting you. They are rejecting and denying the truth. That's what they do. They'll say, do you know what, we've all had it. Well, that's your opinion. Do you know what, that's your interpretation. Because that's what they say. That's what they'll say. Romans chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are what? Self-seeking and what? And reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Now wrath and anger doesn't sound like everybody's going to get there. I'm not being funny, it doesn't sound like that to me. Church, we just need to keep on preaching and teaching the truth. Because just as John said, not me, just as John said, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. You do know it. And the final reason to why John wrote this, as I believe, is that God's children might know that they have eternal life. That you might know you've got eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. One of Satan's most powerful weapons is the weapon of doubt. Yeah? You see, we're living in times where people who claim to be Christians have their hearts set on going to heaven. And we are living in times where God's people who are Christian scripturally are living in doubt. Let me say that slowly. We are living in times where people who claim to be Christian have their hearts set on going to heaven. We are living in times where God's people who are Christian scripturally are living in doubt of heaven. Now the reason the other groups never doubt is because Satan has got them exactly where he wants them. He's already convinced them they're saved. He's already done that. But we as Christians are constantly being attacked with doubt. Because Satan knows that he cannot take your salvation away from you. But he can take your joy and your effectiveness as witnesses of Christ away from you. He can do that to us. But the question you have to ask yourself, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? When Jesus is speaking to some Jews who claimed, who claimed they believed in him, he said in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44, this. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. 
for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, Satan's a liar, and he's very good, isn't he, not whispering these lies in our ears. Very, very good at that. In fact, Jesus says when it comes to lying, that he is the father of all lies. All mankind wants and needs some kind of assurance. In fact, all Christians need this kind of assurance. We need assurance. Why? Because James tells us, in James chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, he tells us this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Solomon says exactly the same thing in Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1. He says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. All mankind need assurance. You know why? Because death is a fact. It is a fact. Hebrews 9.27 reads, Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Now you have a choice. We have a choice. We have a choice. You can either go to that judgment in fear of hell, or, listen to me, I'm putting you all doom and gloom, or, or, you can put your trust in Jesus' words and his promises revealed in his word. You can do that. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, how do I know? Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 8 says this. So then, just as you receive Christ as your Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to that no one takes you captive through what? Hollow and deceptive philosophy, which what? Depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Paul says you can be assured of your eternal destination, your eternal life, because it's not based on human philosophy. And we all know 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says you can be assured of your eternal life, church, not because it's based on sociology, not because it's based on physiology, not because it's based on politics, You can be assured, John says, of your eternal salvation because it's not based on dreams. It's not based on visions. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The assurance of eternal life is based upon what? God's revealed and written word. What's the most terrifying experience you've ever faced? Perhaps some of you have lived in other countries where persecution, and we've just had some prayers for Burundi, but being a Christian in that country, you may not know whether you're going to wake up tomorrow. You may not know that. 
You may also find that we have people, or I've mentioned yourself, that goes through operations and you don't know whether you're going to come out the other side. You, you, you might, you might be a fear of that. It might be a fear of death, mightn't that? Mandy's mother, for instance, twice has been on the operating table and twice they've lost her to only to bring her back. So it's terrifying. But t- let me tell you, that's not the issue. It's not the problem. It's what comes after the problem. That's not the problem. Judgment is the most terrifying experience every anybody born, died, or to, born, to, to be born or died will ever face. However, listen to me, church. However, that is if you are not a Christian. That is if you are not a Christian. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for him, due to him, for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. We all must. Imagine you before the judgment seat of Christ and in front of you is Christ and to the left is Satan. Now Satan will stand up every time somebody approaches the seat and what he'll say is every time to every person guilty for violating God's law. He's guilty. Yeah, that's what he'll say. Now you need to understand that Satan may be the father of all lies. But when he comes to calling us sinners, he doesn't have to lie. He doesn't have to do that. But what we, but what we need to remember and trust is what God has revealed in his word. That's what we've got to believe and trust. We need to remember and trust what John told us the last time I preached on the first part of this. He said in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, he said this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Our eternal salvation is assured. Not because of the good things we do. Not because of our church attendance and how many sermons somebody preaches. Our eternal salvation is assured because Jesus Christ himself, who bought each and every one of us with his own blood, is our defence lawyer. He is. Every time God demands justice from someone's sin, and every time that Satan goes, you know what, they're guilty, Jesus Christ says, it's paid for. I've paid for it. I've paid for it. It's what he says. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. There is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And that should be an amen to that. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Jesus Christ is speaking on my behalf. Because if I was relying on people of the world to be my defence lawyer, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> if I was relying on some brothers and sisters in Christ to defend me, I'm still not sure, a bit unsure if I'm going to make it or not. But the point is that John is telling us, you and me, that he doesn't want you to worry about your eternal destination. Jesus has already sorted that out. He's already done it. He says, if you do not believe him, read it for yourself. Read it for yourself. You've got the Bible readily available. And the reason you've got it 
is that you might know, K-N-O-W, that you too can have access to what? The truth. It's interesting, when Paul is speaking about the full armour of God, in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 17, he said, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet and the sword equal certainty and truth. That's what they represent. Don't let Satan get in here with doubts about your eternal salvation. Don't let him steal your joy and your certainty of your salvation. And the way to prevent those things from happening is to trust God and the promises revealed in his written word. Let me challenge you to stop trusting in your own abilities and your own good deeds. Stop it. Let me challenge you to start trusting and believing in his promises. In Isaiah 43, chapter 43, verse 10, it reads, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will, will there be one after me. When Jesus, after hearing the paralytic, is speaking to the teachers of the Lord, who are accusing them of blasphemy, by the way, he said this to them in Matthew chapter 9, verse 4 and 6. He said this. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. John himself in his Gospel wrote in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, Jesus did many other miracles, signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But what? What's he say? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, what? You may have life in his name. That's not only life now, that's for your life eternally. I heard a story about a woman who was very poor and she was dying on her deathbed. The family doctor bent over to her and she whispered in his ear, Praise the Lord, she was going, Praise the Lord. And the doctor said, How on earth can you praise God when you are dying in a poor house? And she said, Oh, doctor. It's wonderful to know that I'm going from a poor house to a mansion in the skies. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Church... Where we spend eternity has already been written. Not by man and his own thoughts, but by godly men who were inspired and carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, you need to understand that God does not lie. He does not lie. 
The assurance that I've been talking about, we've been talking about, can be yours. People can break into your house. They can steal, steal your goods, they can steal your valuables, in fact they can even steal your husband and wife. But they can never steal the eternal riches in your heavenly home. They can never ever steal that. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 5. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into inheritance what? That can never perish, spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for who? You. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We have people in the world that put their hope in their riches. We've got people who put their hope in their preachers. If you're not a Christian this morning, then let me encourage you to read God's word. If you've come with somebody today as a visitor, then I asked you to ask them for a Bible study to understand exactly what I'm talking about here. And you will see clearly that it does tell us to repent of our ways. It does do that. It does tell us to confess Jesus as, as Lord in our lives. Then you too experience the new birth which Peter talks about by being baptised into Christ. From no hope or hope in earthly things, you can receive a living hope. You will also receive something else. You will receive the guarantee of your salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 14. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Listen to this. And you were also included in Christ when you did what? You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is what? Is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise and the glory of his holy name. That's amen to that one. You will receive God living in you in the form of his spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. As the worship team come forward, if I may ask. Church, let's not water down the word of God. Let's keep it in its proper place. Let's keep it in its proper place. Let's keep it where it's supposed to be. Above our lives as a standard by which we live our lives. Let's hold on to the peace which we receive from knowing that our salvation is assured. You see, I didn't just choose this letter to let you know there are false teachers in the world. I didn't do that. I didn't choose it to let you know also that you have to live wrong lives. I, t- I chose it so you had to live, to let you know you've got to live pure lives. You've got to live pure lives, church. And you need to have the proper relationships, not only with yourselves, with each other, with us. You've got the right proper relationship with God. That's one of the reasons. Those are the reasons you wrote this letter. 
But he also wrote this letter to let you know that you can have access to his word today and to let you know you can have or you do have eternal life. To let you know that. And as God says to Aaron in, and his sons in Numbers chapter, 20, uh, chapter 6, sorry, verse 24 to 26, he says this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's what the Lord says. Or as the song says, let us continue to stand on the promises of God, which he has revealed to us in his word. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that we, we have access to the truth. Father God, there's no good only just having access to the truth. We've got to open the truth and we've got to read the truth and we've got to live the truth. We've got to believe the truth. Father, let us be a congregation of people that love you so much, we honour your word. The world does not want to know you. The world wants to reject you, wants to reject the truth. Let us be bold enough to stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Stand up for the word. But ultimately, Father, let us be a congregation that, you know what, are confident. We know where we're going. Don't doubt where you're going. Yes, we've got to live pure lives. Yes, we've got to do the right things. But let us never doubt that we're going to our eternal home, the mansion in the skies. So, Father, increase our faith in you. Let us believe, not only in the heart, but with our mouth, so we can profess that faith. So, Lord, I ask a blessing on every head that's bowed. Guide and protect us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.